Today is Sunday, May 19th, 2019, and the title of today's sermon is Desperation. Let's jump right into scripture. Isaiah chapter 54, we're going to look at verse 2. Let us start today where we ended, where we focused in on Wednesday night. I need you to be with me today. I need you to have your hearts ready for a continuation of what our worship time together was. I didn't get a chance to jot it all down. But even in the midst of me playing, I, I jotted down this. That was a word that came forth. That we have to be a people with desperation. That a desperate man, a desperate woman. That your desperation is going to determine what God delivers to you. That if you will go after it with all that you have. You will not be denied by your God. That's enough for us to close up shop and just go home. That your desperation to go after the things of God. Do not be fooled by the number of people sitting in this room. The number of people in a room does not determine the desperation of the people that are there. If you are desperate to go after His presence, I am becoming desperate. I am becoming more and more desperate in my own soul for myself, for my family, and for you. A desperation that if we will go after it, we will not be denied by our God. That is what He told us today. Man. If we will allow Him today, God will do something special in your life. I don't just mean in the room. I don't just mean that you can be around it. I don't mean that you could be like a crippled man in Acts 3 that is by a gate called beautiful. I don't just mean that you can get close to this. I mean that if you're desperate for it, you can enter into the beautiful things that God has for you today. In Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 2, it says this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. What a great word for us today. Do you know why the word of God has to instruct this to us so many times? Because we are a people who hold back. We are a people who don't actually go all after it, even while we're saying we're going all after it. It is in our human nature to reserve something just in case this thing doesn't work out. What if I give my all now and don't have enough for later? Yeah, see, that's faithless. The Lord is saying, let's enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtain tents, your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Are you holding back today? The truth is, is you and I both know that I can ask that question in a different way. Not are you holding back, but in what areas are you holding back? Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is His name in case you forgot it. He is the Lord 
almighty. Having more than enough strength to handle your needs and your neighbor's needs and your kids' needs and your boss's. He can handle it all because he is the Lord almighty. And what he's saying to us is do not hold back. You show desperation and I promise you that God of all creation will meet you at your point of desperation. I promise it. I promise you can have 100% confidence, no shadow of turning, not even in yourself about what God is going to provide for us. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth, by the way. If he's the God of all the earth, I promise you that he can take care of your life. (laughs) If he can handle the entire universe, I promise that he can take care of the needs that you have. For you, your children. And even those who are far off, that God can handle this in us. This is in keeping with what the Lord has been instructing us for weeks and weeks and even months now. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. This was given to us at our New Year's Eve celebration at the Browns home. Leviticus 26 and verse 9. It says this, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful. Somebody say, make you fruitful. Man. And increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you. I will shamar my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to make, uh, I'm sorry, when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. Isn't that what happens in almost every service that we have here? I mean, let's be honest for a second. We can look at it in terms of years, but aren't you almost having to move out what we did on Wednesday for you to make room for what you're going to get today? Aren't you almost having to move out what we did on Friday night at Discipleship Helps? This is, this is a place of abundance. I will put my dwelling place among you. Wow. As if the harvest wasn't enough, he's going to dwell with us. And I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. You wouldn't think that he would need to say that, do you? I brought you out from slavery so you would have to no longer be a slave. No, he, we actually need to hear that. There's a purpose for him bringing us out. There's something that he has intended for us. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. That's the kind of church that we are working towards. That's the kind of confidence that we can have, Mario. We can have our heads held high because he is with us and he's freed us and he's broken the yoke off of our backs. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah 37 and let's look at verse 30. It says this, this will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. And the second year, what springs from that? And in the third year, sow and reap. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. Man, this is is indicative of what the Lord is doing in our midst this year. He's allowing us to take root below. He's strengthening our marriages. He's strengthening our parenting. He's moving us forward. He's trying to build our confidence. How's your confidence today? Are you taking root below and bearing fruit above? Because that's what he is giving to us. That was what he is demanding of us. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant. And out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. <laughs> Band of survivors, master shipbuilders, learning how to shamar and guard what God has given us, building the name, tent makers, fire and glory. Boy, we've gotten a lot already this year. Our God is faithful to keep his promises. He is faithful to keep his promises. Turn with me to Joshua 18 and verse 3. As we're thinking about what God has promised us this year. How many of you know there's something different between a promise and then receiving the promise? Anybody ever been promised something? Anybody ever promised your kids something? Yeah, you got to be careful what you promise your kids, don't you? You are a rookie parent when you promise something you hadn't really thought about. Oh, we'll do that later. I promise you, if they are under the age of 26, they will remember. But you said. Now, they can't remember to go clean their room when you told them. They can't remember to do their homework because you instructed them. But they will remember with laser-like precision exactly what you said if it blesses them. Dad, you said that we would do this, 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 and then we would go get ice cream. Whew, I guess I did. See, making a promise is different than keeping a promise. Receiving a promise or hearing the promise is different than taking possession of that promise. Look at Joshua 18.3. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? How long are you going to wait? Uh, what you waiting on? Do you know that he's saying this to seven tribes? Folks, how many tribes are there again? Yeah, how many is the total number? There's 12. 12. More than half. We're in Joshua 18. They've had conquests. They've had battles. They've had battles in the north. They've had battles in the south. And what are they doing? He's like, how long are you going to... What are we waiting on? You see, if you come here to this church and you hear because we keep putting it before you, you know why? Because you need to remember it and I need to remember it. See, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I knew that would happen. We're saying it ahead of time. We're saying that we have confidence that God has spoken, that we have heard rightly, and that He will fulfill His good promises for us. So we're saying it, and we're saying it again, and we're saying it again, and we're saying it again. See, because it doesn't matter to me how many families that we've got out right now. It matters to me, those of you who are sitting here. See, because if you look at it on the outside, you're going to look around and go, well, we're going to take possession when we all get together. We're going to take possession when the circumstances are more favorable. You see, we know that the Lord wants to do this, but at just the right time, He will move upon my heart and I will leap into action. No, you won't. You won't. Because what you're practicing now is sitting back and waiting. And what I don't want to have is anyone in this room for us to say by the end of this year, I don't want anybody in, in May... We're in May 19th. I don't want you to be sitting there and going, okay, well, God's going to promise us. He's promised us something. Let's just sit back in our recliner, cross our legs, fold our hands, and just wait for it to happen. This is not how the kingdom of God is advanced. This is not how your life is going to partake in the promises. See, I'm determined. I'm going to go after these promises. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to be desperate for God to do in my life, in my family's life, and even in your life, what he's promised. See, but the thing is, is I can't go get a promise for you. I'm working really hard to do that as your pastor. I promise if I could, I would do it. 
But see, that's not even healthy for you. That's not good for you. For me to go get a promise and deliver it to you, that actually teaches you the wrong thing. What I want us to do today is I want us to go after with desperation the promises that God has for us. How long are you going to wait before you begin to take possession of the land? Does it say take possession there? No, it says how long are you going to, until you start the process of getting what he's got for you? How long are you going to wait? You hadn't even started yet. Seven out of the 12 tribes hadn't even started yet. Joshua is right to rebuke them. Let me ask you, LCM. How long are you going to wait to begin to take possession of his promises for us this year? Year of prosperity. Babies, marriages, resources, and souls. Which of those have you participated in? Well, we got a lot of babies. Amen. Some of y'all participating. I like that. Did God intend for us to have just only one of those categories? Or did he give us multiple categories this year? My question for you today, church, is how long are you going to wait before you begin to take position, possession of the land the Lord your God has given you? He's already given it to you. See, we have a promise. We have a promise I think there's a building coming our direction. I think there's a building that will be in our possession at some point in the future. Every time I drive by it, uh, my daughter Anna kind of, she knows I'll be in the middle of a sentence. So when I realize that I'm close to the building, I will stop and begin to pray. You know what my prayers are? Lord, may we take possession fully of what you've given us. May we be able to live and increase. And take full possession of this. Lord, we want to be faithful to use this building in a way that will please you. I thank you ahead of time for us occupying this building. And we move on. You see, I don't want to wait until we actually get in the building to begin to take possession of being in the building. Yeah, but don't you have to? No, I don't have to wait. You don't have to wait either. How long are you going to wait? Are you going to wait till God fulfills the promise to believe that he's going to fulfill the promise? Well, that's not very faithful, is it? Who believes you don't need faith if you're already seeing it? When do you have to operate in faith? When you don't yet see it. When his promises are still in the distance and you're like, I'm not sure that this is going to happen. I can't see how this will work out. But I'm going to begin now to take possession of it. I am going to, in faith, operate as if that is going to happen with an in, the inevitability of the sunrise. Of the earth continuing to rotate and revolve. With the assurity that I know that I can trust in the sun and the moon and the stars, I will begin to operate as if His promise to me is just that certain. Isn't that different than most people operate? We say we have faith and we don't think about something. We say we have faith and we don't act as if it's going to happen. We act as if we're still in limbo about it happening. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let's look at verse 7. Oh, that we might be desperate in this place today. Desperate to see His promises fulfilled in us. 
Genesis 15, 7 says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Abram said, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Then there begins a process of sacrifice before the Lord. I'll just reference this. You don't have to turn there. Genesis 24, 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Deuteronomy 8.1 Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and you may enter and possess. See, you've got to live, but it's one thing to live and it's another thing to live and to increase. It's one thing to enter. It's an entirely different thing to enter and possess, to fully enjoy. The word possess there, it means to occupy. And the note and the Strong's definition says this, to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. Kicking somebody out and taking over because it's yours. By implication, to seize, to rob, to inherit, also to expel, to ruin. Um, some of those are negative words, Pastor. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Because there are giants in the land that you have to dispossess. He's promised, and then he gives us the strength to go out and enter and possess it. We've got to possess all that God has assigned. We've got to occupy it. We've got to drive out the enemy. We've got to get rid of the previous tenants. We've got to seize them. We've got to expel the giants. We've got to ruin the plan of the enemy. Well, that takes some desperate kind of crazy people to do that, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly who we are. Yes, that's, what, that's who I am and that's who I'm planning to be even more so. Was it David said, you think I've been undignified? You ain't seen nothing yet. A quick barrage of scriptures for you. If we're going to do this, that means that we have to get to work. How long will you wait to begin to take possession? Yeah, the answer for us today has to be that we will wait no longer. See, because if you are desperate, if you're desperate for water, what does by implication, what does that mean? Can you, um, I am desperate for water. I'm out in the desert and I'm crawling along. And I go, you know, I could wait a little bit longer. By definition, desperate says, I've got to have it and I've got to have it now. I've got to have more of his presence and I've got to have it now. Do you see those things that I've allowed to satiate me in some way that don't really satisfy anyway? I'm done with that. I've desperate for God's presence. I am desperate for him to, I want to possess what he has given me. I've got to do it. Nothing else does. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Are you still able to be satisfied by something else, church? Are you satisfied with a little rain, but you have not partaken of the life-giving water of the Spirit? Have, have you allowed something else to satiate you, to fill you? What do they call them? Empty calories? How empty are your calories today? How desperately hungry are you for His presence and to fulfill what He said? 
See, our God is so good, He keeps going service after service, saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. My Spirit is here with you. My lampstand is among you. I'm still here with you. I'm still here with you. I'm still here with you. How long are you going to wait, folks? How many times does He have to tell us that He is with us before we begin to act like He is actually with us? Oh, it's different to say that He's with us than it is to act in the faith that demands Him to be with us. If we are desperate, He will not neglect us. We're not, we're not desperate for ourselves. We're not asking for, for wealth for arms. We're not asking for anything other than what He has already promised us. And we're saying, Lord, we're going to trust You more than we're going to trust our own sight, our own fear our own doubt, our own insecurity. We're going to trust you, God, because we don't have another choice. Stop having another choice in your life. My God, what are we allowed to have happen in our life? Are we going to just sit around? Are we going to go after? Are we going to enter and possess what he's given us? Praise God, you've entered. Fantastic. What a glorious moment. That's the beginning. Now go possess it. Go after it and get this. Have some passion about you for the love of God. The Lord is moving in our life and we've got to go get it. We've got to have something about us that works for this and says, I am going after this because I don't want to do anything else. I can't do anything else. I can't and I won't. Nothing else will do, only me fulfilling what he's put in my life. See, if I'm doing that, I am so glad that you're running after the Lord. I'm so glad that you're anointed, but I have no desire for comparison because I'm too desperate to do what he's told me to do. I'm not worried. I want to help you. I want to strengthen my brother. Yes, but I'm not comparing myself to you. Know why? Because I'm already desperate. I'm desperate for it. And when you're that desperate, And when he meets you time after time after time. When he helps you and provides you babies that you're not supposed to have. When he provides you a spouse that you were always doubting that you could get. When he's providing provision and souls in your life that you could only hope for. What kind of confidence is that? That is a beautiful confidence that you have because you understand it was spurred on by your lack It was spurred on by your weakness. And His strength was made perfect inside of you. My God, church. Are we going to go after this or not? Proverbs chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 5 says, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Don't be asleep in this church. Don't be asleep in this season in this church. This is a time for a harvest for us. You better work while it's time. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Revealed where? Revealed when? Revealed in you. Revealed in your circumstances. Revealed in your life. You set yourself and get ready for action now. James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if, not as, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. How's your faith today? How's your faith? How, how are your actions? Revelation 14, 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. John 9, 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. Man, our, our church is no stranger to the concept of doing the work. We are the kind of church that will look at someone on a mission trip and say, this is LCM, get yourself in the truck and let's go. How are you doing getting in the same direction as the rest of the church is right now and doing the work that the Lord has put before you? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I want to take a look at a parable that is going to frame at least part of our discussion for today. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. This is taking place right after Jesus has an encounter with Zacchaeus. Or rather, I guess Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, right? Luke 19, 11. Are you there with me? There. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Hold up. It's on the screen for you. We're in Luke 19, 11. We're only 25 and a half minutes into this sermon, so I couldn't have possibly lost you yet. While they were listening to this, He went on to tell them a parable. Jesus is speaking in parables to them. And we're going to read the parable in just a second. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Those silly people of God. How are you doing with the promises that God has spoken to you? Do you actually expect them to be done and appear all at once? Do you get discouraged when things don't happen quite as quickly as you think that they would? I got one person. Justin Linton is the only honest person in the room right now. That he has been discouraged because things sometimes take longer than he thought they might. They thought that it would appear at once. I mean, Jesus is standing right here. Surely this has got to be the final result. This is it. When you're reminded of what God has promised you. How do you envision it appearing? Being brought to you on a golden tray, like apples of gold and settings of silver, dropped into your lap as you leisurely are, for me? It's like my birthday. This is great. Thanks, Lord, for just dropping it on me with zero effort on my part. Love you, Lord. Now, he is good enough. He oftentimes gives us some beautiful things. But see, his promises aren't always like that in our lives. They're always yes and amen. And no matter how many promises he's given us, we can count on them. But what he's doing here, maybe you've expected some things to just show up all at once. Maybe you've just expected for us to talk about God's provision for this church and it just show up in your lap. I want to encourage you to take this 
parable to heart. Are you with me? Verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. This is Jesus telling a parable. So he called ten of his servants. Somebody say ten servants. And gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. You better work. Look at your neighbor and say, you better work. Now, there's... Uh, an interesting thing about this passage, and I'm going to be just fully honest with you guys. Normally when I think about this one, my mind usually goes to Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. Everybody familiar with the parable of the talents? What does, what does the master do in that case? In that case, the master goes along and gives his servants different gifts. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, to one he gave one based on their abilities, and he's the master, so he was right about that. And then what happens? They had different gifts, but then they got the same reward, the ones who were faithful. This one is a bit different, and it struck me very, very unusually last night. So he called ten servants and gave them ten minus. Ten servants, and he gave them all the exact same amount. No difference in what he gave them. Put this money to work. Here we have the same gifts, but we're going to have different rewards that are given. Okay, Matthew 25, are you with me? Maybe you already, you, I guess you all knew this. This was easy for you, right? Looking at it last night, I realized the difference between the two stories. The first story in Matthew 25 gives us different gifts, but a same reward. In this case, we get the same gifts, but different rewards. Let's look at it. This idea of same gifts. Same gifts. They all got ten minus. Do we all get the same thing in the Lord? Let's turn to, eight, let's turn to Romans chapter 4. The answer must be yes and no. <laughs> yes to both. Turn to Romans chapter 4. The same gifts. Every one of the servants started off with the exact same thing. Huh, I wonder how that could be. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. I need everybody there. You there? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Anybody familiar with this passage in the room? Yeah, a little bit. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Fantastic. When everything looked like he shouldn't have had hope, he still had hope because he was trusting in the Lord. Became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now, the truth is, is uh, I have had times in my life where my faith was weakened. I've had times when I wanted to ignore the actual facts of the situation to make myself feel better about the situation. See, what is beautiful about Abraham here is he faced the fact and didn't weaken in his faith. Hey, folks. When you engage in a situation, when you get to a difficult spot, 
Let's say you don't have the finances you thought. Let's say your kids aren't doing what, they, what you think they should do. Let's say you're disappointed in yourself. Do you, in those moments, are you able to face the facts and not get weakened in your faith? It's difficult, isn't it? We want to say, oh, of course we can do that, Pastor. You see, but God is giving us something and he's showing it to us through the man Abraham. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. We have a double whammy trying to have kids and neither one of the partners can do this. Neither the husband nor the wife. Verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. My God, what a special kind of faith. See, what we're getting here, what I'm getting to, is the idea that the ten minas that were given to each of the servants is showing us that we are supposed to have the same kind of thing. See, God is a faithful God, and what He's doing to each of us in this room is He's giving us the kind of faith that Abraham had. That is the only kind of faith we're allowed to have. You don't get a different amount. I don't get a different amount. What we do is we've had the faith so that we can stand here and learn how to go. I will not waver through unbelief. Again, Lord, help me today. Lord, help me today because I feel like these are so powerful, these scriptures. He did not waver. Church, stop wavering. Stop doubting. I'm not saying ignore the facts. I'm saying face the facts. Look at them right in the eyeball and say, yep, I see exactly what that is. And I'm not going to waver. Why? How? How can we do this? Verse 20. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. Wait a minute. Are you telling me the gift we're supposed to have doesn't cause our faith to weaken, but we get stronger when there's adversity? How can this be? How can it be? It must just be that Abraham got something different than what we got. He got something different. His minus were different. See, he got a different gift. So we don't have to expect the same faith. Wait, 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 wait. Not in this parable, friends. Not in this parable. We got the same thing. I wonder if it's he just learned how to use it. I wonder if it's he just entered in and possessed all of the faith that God had given him. That's why he's the father of the faithful. Not because he got something different than you. Not because he got something different than me. He just used it rightly. Boy, I don't like this in my own flesh. Because it eliminates every possible excuse that I could have. Well, I mean, it is Father Abraham, right? It is Elder Charlie or Elder Baj. They just have something entirely different than the rest of us. That's ridiculous. The men that you can look up to are because they are learning how to use it well. Not that they have something different than you. That is so challenging to each of us. If you are not challenged by that, you're not listening to me. Now there's no difference in what we were given. It only matters what we've done with it. Oh my. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. 
We're getting to the key of this. We're seeing the res- we're seeing the cause. We're seeing the core of what this is. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. What what is the this? This is why that he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. When you are fully persuaded, when you act, when you perform your actions, knowing that God is going to do what he said. Yep, I can face the fact I'm 100 years old and I'm supposed to be having a baby. Not supposed to be able to happen. I can face the fact that I have my own weaknesses. I can face these facts and not even be phased, not even a little bit. Yep, you're right. You're right. Wade Sutherland lacks many things. So right. You don't even know how right you are. It doesn't matter. I have the faith of Abraham. And when other men are getting discouraged, I'm getting strengthened in my faith. (laughs) Wow. Boy, this is going to be fun, Lord. I'm not sure how you're going to do this, but you're going to do something and it's going to be awesome. I am fully persuaded. How often are you fully persuaded of something? Other than your own lack. Other than your own insecurities that you take as gospel. What are you fully persuaded in? I'm going to be fully persuaded and that's going to be credited to me as righteousness. Well, how dare you say that? Because it's the same gift that Abraham has. I can say that. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone. Uh Uh-oh. Going to prove my point through the scripture. But also for us. If you keep it for Abraham, then you're missing out on the faith of Abraham. It's not just for him. It's also for us. It's for David Hall and Carlos Rueda and for Keith Phillips. It is for all of us. It's the same gift given to us. uh, Also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him. I don't have to believe in myself. I just really, really believe in him. I am confident. You can be confident of what the Lord is doing. You can be sure and fully persuaded that He will accomplish what He's promised you. We either have the same faith as Abraham or we don't have faith at all. We are either starting out with the same gift that Abraham had or you have no faith. But pastor, there's still disparity in my faith compared to Abraham's faith then learn how to use it well. Then do something with the gift that God has given you. We are told to work with this gift, to produce something, to work, to labor, to toil. Let this money work until the master comes back. Look at verse 14. We're back in Luke chapter 19 now. I don't have time to go into this verse, but I wanted you to see the entire parable in its context. He says to the ten servants, here's ten minas, go and work this until I get back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. This is an interesting story. This is a parable that Jesus Christ is telling before he gets to the Passion Week. As he's about to enter Jerusalem for the Last Supper. This is the story that he's telling them. 
Verse 15. He was made king, however. (laughs) Their desires for his kingship have no bearing whatsoever on him being king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Is there an implication that you could just have something and not be gaining it for the Lord? Uh, He was going back to see what they gained. That's the implication. That's all he expected. Not if you're going to have to gain something for him, but I told you to do it. Did you, how much did you do for me? What did you accomplish for me? Jesus is not only our king, but he is a righteous judge. You can look in Isaiah 42. I'm just going to quote it to you. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He is a righteous judge. This master is coming back to check on it. Turn, uh, keep your place there in uh, Luke. And I just want to read something to you from Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Man, what a beautiful thought. You know what comes right next about this ascended king? He's saying, I'm giving you people to help you that you might grow in maturity and achieve the fullness of Christ. I'm going to give you the five-fold ministry so that you can actually do exactly what will please your mighty king. Verse 16, back in Luke 19. The first servant came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. You guys, I'm sure, are familiar enough with this. I'm not as familiar with this story. I was reading it with the illusion of the first time. I read it like ten times last night. You know what stood out to me on this? The servant didn't say, you know what I did? I earned ten more. What did the servant do? The gift that you gave me has produced fruit. The gift, the faith, the love, the power that you gave me. Look at what your great power has done right here. Your gift to me has produced tenfold. What an interesting perspective. Because who is in charge of making that thing grow? The servant. But a servant who can rightly say, Lord, the gift that you've given me, I'm watching it. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to work with all my heart, but it's going to be your gift that grows. What a beautiful perspective. I mean, what a beautiful perspective here. What a humble servant. This servant is not being resisted because of the pride that he has. Is it? (laughs) I mean, let's be real. Most people in Christianity vacillate back and forth between feeling completely incompetent, insecure, unable, and if you do something right, feeling pretty darn happy with yourself. (gasps) Oh, wretched sinner that I am. Look what I did. I got it right. Look what happened. We're not dumb enough to say it out loud like that, but If we're not careful, we miss the principle of this servant who said, Lord, it's your gift that produced something fantastic. Now, how much did that servant have to work to watch that gift produce something that fantastic? A whole lot. 
Lord, the gift and the treasure that you've given me have produced tenfold. I was reminded of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. We don't have to turn there. Do you know that Daniel and the Hebrew children, it was said that they were ten times better than those around them. I think it's Daniel chapter 1 verse 20. Ten times better. The gifts that God had given them produced tenfold in their life. What an incredible thing. Let's keep going here in Luke 19. What is the master's response to him? Well done, my good servant. Doesn't this remind you of Matthew 25? We're used to hearing that phrase. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Wait, I thought this was the gift that he gave. Yeah, it's a very small matter compared to the taking authority over ten cities. I entrusted you with something that you could handle. I gave you a gift of the same caliber as what I gave men like Abraham. And when I gave men like Daniel, and when I gave the prophets and the priests and the kings of old, I gave you the same type thing. But see, what I'm trying to see is what kind of faithfulness you will have. Will you produce the same thing that these men produced with the same gift? Boy, isn't that scary? We want it to be different gifts. We could talk about the body of Christ and how we're given different things. Yes. But in this case, what matters is what you produce. It's one thing to have different standards and we're all like, well, you don't understand my situation. Maybe you could do, Carlos could do this a little bit easier. He's good looking. He's Colombian. How could he not be favored by God? It's another thing for all of us to have the exact same substance that's been given to us and have to be measured on what we do with it. See, this is why we don't like reading out of Luke 19, we'd rather read in Matthew 25. Because I like it better. Because it says we can have different amounts and we all get the same thing at the end. This is Little League Soccer. (laughs) Everyone gets a trophy. Well done. He is praised for his work. He is praised for what he produces. What is your faithfulness producing? Will he say to you, well done? I am determined in my life. And as much as I'm able to help you, that he will be able to say that to this group of people. But see, I can't determine that for you. If only we could, right? Then you just need two or three really, 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 really intense people. And the rest of us just get drug along in their wake. But see, that's not how he does it. He doesn't call all 10 servants together simultaneously and say, what is the aggregate amount that you have brought back to me? He says, you, what did you do for me? What if we don't look at it as a a financial amount? What revelation has the Lord given you? What gifts has he given you? What portion of his spirit has he given you That is just like what he's given the rest of us in this room. Authority is given as a result of your faithfulness. If you don't like the level of authority that you're walking in, you should examine the level of your faithfulness and of your production in the kingdom. Let's look at the second servant in verse 18. Are you guys with me? The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. He, 
He heard the first one, I guess, and he, he, has, the right, he has the right understanding. Your gift, mighty king, has earned something else. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. What's missing from that? Well done. Well done. What a good servant you are. That a boy. What is missing in, in servant number two? By the way, there were ten servants. We're only going to hear about three of them. I don't know what the other seven were doing. Because it's a parable and Jesus doesn't say what they were doing, so we could just make it up. Or we don't even worry about it because it wasn't important. This second servant has minus, produces five more. And the king says, you get five cities then. The man is rewarded in proportion to his production. But no accommodation of well done, good and faithful servant. Not even mentioned. Not even hinted at in the text. It reminds me, hold your place here and turn just a few pages over to Luke 17. This is going to help you if you'll allow it. This is going to radically change your perspective if you'll allow it. Luke 17 and verse 5. Are you there with me? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. By the way, they were talking about forgiveness at the beginning of the chapter. And to be able to forgive, they're like, Lord, help us. We need more faith. We need more minus than what you've given us. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Does he seem to think that they need more faith? Yes or no, church? No. Yeah, we, we are long past. This is not a performance up here. This is the, I'm not performing for you today. I'm trying to give you a word that I feel like the Lord gave me for us. Does it seem like the problem was that they hadn't been given enough faith? Yes or no? No. Because what is Jesus' response to them? If you have a microscopic amount of faith, you can do everything that you need to do. I've given you a 10 minus. That's enough for you. What are you going to do with it? Your faith needs to be big enough in your life to produce actual action. If it's not big enough to produce action in you, then you have not yet started to exercise to increase, to possess what God has already given you. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. That leaves nothing that you don't have. Faith that produces action. Trust grounded obedience. These are staples in this church. These are pillars of what form this church. But what's forming in your life? See, the church isn't just the history of the people that have been here. It's not just an amalgamation of the people that have been sent out. It is you and me. It is what we build of this place going forward. Man, I can't wait till Pastor Matt is back. I can't wait till Pastor Eric is back. But you know what this church is? It's not just Pastor Matt. It is not just Pastor Eric or the Stevens family. It's us, church. Do you have the faith 
of a mustard seed that can say to your to something in front of you, be removed, be uprooted, and planted in the sea, and it will happen? If you don't yet have that, then you don't even have mustard seed kind of faith. But see what I know? What I know is that you've been given the right stuff. You've been given the good stuff. You've been given the same stuff that Abraham had, that Samuel had, that David had, that the prophets of old had. You've been given the exact same thing. Man, let's walk in this. Let's be desperate to see his faith produce something in us today. You don't need more of it. You need to operate with what you have. Boy, that's such a different thing. He didn't put his word out there somewhere across the ocean where you can't get to it. He put his word near to you. It is near to your heart. It is in your mouth. You can do this. My God, would you help us today? There should be a desperation that's rising in your heart. There should be a hunger that is being cultivated in you. You have no excuse. I have no excuse. But I also have exactly what I need. Man, in Luke 17, listen to this. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. <laughs> I love it. Whatever. Plowing, looking after the sheep. That's not the point of the story. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat. <laughs> the master, you've been working outside and you're the servant. He goes, oh, please, you look sweaty and tired. Won't you come down and sit down and have a meal with me? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you can eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? The answer is clearly no. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Hey, can I encourage you? This is a, we, we are trying to both be a church that crushes sin, that makes you want to repent, and tries to encourage you along the way. It is not a mandate, a necessity for us to come alongside of you, hold your hand, pat you on the back to make sure that you do what you are supposed to do. I love you. I yearn, I, I weep over you all the time. I pray for you all the time. And it is not my job to make you, to take your little hands and walk you down and show you how to walk. We want to do that. We want to help you. But you have to do what you're told to do. Do you know what I was thinking about the other day? I was thinking about, I was asking for people to pastor me. My son is 19 now. At 19, I was saying, would somebody mentor me? Would somebody show me how to do this better? I love you, Lord, and I really want to get this right. Nobody was there. Mentors in my professional life. You know, you know the mentoring I got? You look like you really love the Lord. Good job. Good game. You'll do fine. You get more pastoring in a week here than I did my entire life growing up. You know more about the word that is taught here in a month of services than I did ever growing up.
And I think I made it okay. Because I just learned that somewhere in the process, I'm going to go after it. And if there's somebody there to help me, praise God. I honor that. I value that. If there's nobody there to help me, then he'll help me and he will cause his will to come true in my life. Do you deserve thanks for doing what you were told to do? Boy, in our world, that's a solid yes. Yes, we need the affirmation of someone telling us. We need to praise our children for merely doing what we told them to do. Let's have a celebration for my child that did one thing that I actually asked them to do. That I told them to do. Apparently, the Lord is under no such compulsion. Because he will reward you according to what you've produced in the kingdom. And when you've done what you're supposed to do, you will get accorded, rewarded accordingly. I want to be one who's going so hard after the Lord, who's so full of faith. I want to hear from him. Well done. But what does that mandate on my part that I really, really produce in the kingdom? Can you look at people who have come into the kingdom because of your life? Who've grown because of your revelation? Who've grown because of your faith? This is what we are all supposed to be producing. Let's look at the next servant. Verse 20 of Luke 19. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. Do you remember the Matthew 25 version? That wicked, lazy servant buried it. This one kept it in a hanky. Kept it in a cloth. You know what's interesting, though? The word for cloth here is exactly the same word that was used for Lazarus, his burial cloth. You see, because when you don't use what God has given you, when you don't put it into effect, you're burying it. Whether you think you're burying it or not. Have you buried some things that God has given you? Pastor, I didn't bury it. I just put it in a cloth and put it in my pocket. Are there areas yet unfulfilled in your walk? Have you yet to begin to take possession of something that God has for you? Be careful lest you have it wrapped in a cloth and it be counted as it being buried. Verse 21, I was afraid of you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is true or not. This is a parable. I can't go back and ask. I can't find this out. I'm not sure that this is not just a lame excuse. Are you really afraid of me? Are you really afraid of me if you're just going to take what I gave you and put it in your pocket? Are you re- really? Really? Oh, I was, I was just nervous and I didn't think that they would, really? If you're actually afraid of the king who's going to come and reward you according to your own deeds, if you're actually got fear of him, I'm not at all worried about what you have to say. I love you. I'm not at all worried about what you have to say about me. Because I'm going to have to answer to him. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you do, what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Wait a minute. What a lame, lame conversation and excuse we're having here. 
I was afraid, you know, because you take what you didn't put in and you reap what you didn't sow. Where did everything this man had come from? Given to you from the king. He was given the ten minus and he said, yeah, you take what you didn't put in and everything that he had in his pocket was from this man. Huh. At least we don't ever do that. At least we don't ever devalue what he's giving us as if he hadn't given us anything to start with. What a wicked servant. Wicked to be freely granted the same faith, the same gift, the same opportunity, the same amount of time as those who were proven faithful and you produce nothing. Not even simple interest. In both Matthew 25 and Luke 19, he's like, you could have at least put it in the bank. Um, By the way, Have you ever thought about the bank and the interest part? What is it really saying? At least if you would entrust it to someone else who knows what they're doing, they would have even earned something for you without you even doing anything. Why didn't you at least do something in the church where you at least got pastors and men of God who love you and will present the kingdom to you on a silver platter? Even if you're not, it's going to produce some type of interest Because of their labor. Because of their understanding. Because they know what they're doing. At least produce some interest here. Wow. Verse 22. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man? taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put your money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have, could have collected interest? Folks, if this great king is going to judge us, I'm sorry, if this great king is going to judge the servant according to his own words, yeah, you should be thinking about the words that you use. Are you faithless in your speech? Are you constantly saying how weak you are? How many points of adversity are against you? How unfulfilled something is? What if you're going to be judged by the very words that you speak? We serve a God who when the enemy comes in and worships storms, he comes and defeats them with storms. We serve a God who if your nation is worshiping all these other gods, you know, the frog gods and hail and... You know what? He just takes your own gods and wins. Beats you with them. Matthew twelve, thirty-four. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. What is the mouth? What are your words showing about the overflow of your heart today? The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Man, I'm a pastor. This scripture is sobering to me because I say a lot of words. I would say a lot of words if I wasn't a pastor, but especially because. 
Verse 37, for by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. What are your words saying, church? Because they're an overflow of your heart. I want us to have the faith of Abraham exercised in this place. And it matters what you say. It matters when we accuse God of not giving you what you need, of somehow him being unfair or unjust in your situation. It matters. Quit being weakened in your faith, but be strengthened in your faith. Count it worthy. Count him faithful to do exactly what he said. And don't even let the smallest part of your words contradict an actual faith and belief in God. Don't even let it come out for a minute. I'm just telling you. I, wait, I, I'm not telling. I'm not taking it to everybody. I'm just telling it to you. Not even for a minute. Not even for a minute. What are your words saying? By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be judged. Wow. He even cares about our words and what our words are producing. Back to, back to uh, verse 24 of Luke 19. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it shows this in this translation on the screen. Sir, they said, he already has ten! Exclamation point. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying to take it away from this wicked and lazy guy and give it to the guy who already has plenty? Yep. What is the implication? Why are they saying it the way that they are? Aren't they going, wait, 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 this is not fair. Shouldn't you give it to the... Wait, 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 wait. You're going to give it to the guy who already has something? Why are you taking something away from the one who didn't do anything with it? If you're looking from the perspective of the servant, this almost feels unfair. If you're looking at it from the perspective of the king, it's the only righteous thing that you could do. The only righteous thing you can do is give to those who have proven themselves faithful. If you are faithful to the little then we can increase what you can handle. See, if we've been given the same faith to start with, then any comparison in this room should end now. Those little thoughts that you may have that is just because someone was given something different, more, unique from what you have, should be crushed because of the Scripture. What are you doing with what God has given you? If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can handle anything that you need. How big is your faith today? Because what you've been given is the same substance as Abraham. You just got to learn how to use it. So you can either sit here and be discouraged because your faith is not even at mustard seed level yet. Or you can find a desperation in what I'm saying and go, my God, I do have the same thing. I've been unfaithful, but I can change that now. I can start to operate in faith now. I can fix my words now. I can fix my actions now. What are you waiting on? How long will you wait before you take possession of what God has given you? How long will you wait? I will wait no longer. 
I'm demanding of you that you wait no longer. This could be the kind of day that changes your walk. This could be the kind of day that encourages you to new levels now. What kind of day are you going to let this be? Just another service? Just another time where someone else has tried to hear from the heavens and hand it to you? My God, I want to be the servant that God can say to me, well done. Not only receive the authority in response to what I've done, but that he will see me and say, you did exactly what I wanted you to do with that. You let the overflow of your heart be full of faith. When there are sicknesses, you did not bow. When there are difficulties, you did not retract. When there's adversity, you did not step down, not even for a second. When other men were getting weak, and you got strengthened in your faith. Fully persuaded that God could do what He promised. I am determined to walk as a fully persuaded man. Every day of my life. Leaving no stone unturned. What about you today? You have not been given something different. You've been not been given something lesser. You have, God has not mistreated you. He's not taken from you what he hasn't already sown into you. What a wicked thought for us to have. He will respond if you are desperate and say, I'm not even sure how to do this right. Do I speak to the mulberry? Do I yell at it? Tell it to, I don't know how to, what I say. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Go after it. Go do something for the love of God. Go put your faith in action. Fail. Absolutely. But fail while you're stepping out in faith. Don't fail being a pansy. Don't fail being weak. Don't fail because you're accusing God of treating you wrong. Not giving you what you need. Are you desperate? I am desperate to achieve what He's got for me. I'm desperate for it. I want what I do in this world in obedience to Him to echo for generations. You don't get that with small faith. You don't get that with a burial cloth around what God has given you, putting it in your pocket, or burying it in the dirt. My God. Paul goes through and he says it. He's like, I work harder than all of y'all. Pardon the Texas slang. I worked harder than all of you. Yet not I. It was the grace of God. See, even Paul, even while he's instructing from that apostle's role, he's instructing and saying, no, 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 no. I actually worked harder than all of you. He's also the servant that says, your minus has produced ten more. What are you really working at, though? You're working at your job, working at your house. What are you really working for? We're supposed to be able to judge angels one day, folks. Uh, um, Joy, can you put up 1 Corinthians 6 2, just on the screen? 1 Corinthians 6 2. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? In this case, there were people suing each other inside the house of God. 
They're like, you're supposed to be able to judge the entire planet one day. Telling angels where they've made mistakes. Folks, if what we're doing now is preparation for that, if what we're doing now is supposed to produce a harvest as the king returns and assigns to us what is rightfully due us based on our actions, what are you preparing for? I want to be entrusted with authority. So I must prove faithful now. I want to bring his kingdom here to this earth. So I must be faithful in executing everything that he says. And I don't even need him to say, well done. I'm just hoping that I get that. I don't need him to tell me that, though. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're getting ready to close here. Can you stay with me for just another few minutes? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. (laughs) Abraham has showed us how to do this. His word clearly shows us how to do this. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Are you overflowing with thankfulness today? Because you should be. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See, let no one take you captive through these wrong philosophies that say that your fears are more real than what God has given you. They say that somehow he has not been fair to you. He's not been fair to you. Oh, you didn't get what somebody else, what you think someone else got. Maybe you've been given the exact same thing. They just are using it rightly. God is somehow unfair. Shame on you. That God hasn't given you everything you need. Shame on you for thinking that. Shame on me for thinking that. Produces a fickleness in us. I'm bold today. I'm shaking tomorrow. I'm on the heights because of the service. I'm in the depths because... Come on, folks. See to it that no one takes you captive. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Wow. Wow. All the fullness of the deity lived in one human being. All of it. The infinite was put in the finite. I don't even understand how you could do that, but it happened. And you have been given fullness in Christ. That's better than ten minus. You have been given fullness in Christ. You have been given Fullness in Christ. If we could actually live by faith that this one little statement is right about the Bible, it will change the face of this church. It will change what you do on a daily basis. 
you will not be able to stop from evangelizing the people at your work. You won't be able to help finding someone in the store and watching them get radically transformed by the gospel. Because you have been given the fullness of Christ. My God. What else do you need? You've been given the exact same substance of the patriarchs, of the priests of old, of the prophets, of the kings, of the disciples. You've been given it. That we would be desperate enough to actually live in this. In him, you were also circumcised and putting off the of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Come on, if you were there Friday night, we talked about this, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him. How? Through your faith in the power of God. Where's your faith today, church? How long will you wait to begin to possess what he has given you? No longer. Our master and king and judge is coming to see what we've produced. Behold, I am coming soon, Revelation 22 says. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Turn with me to our last scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It says this, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him. You know how you can be confident? If you've been producing based on what the Lord has given you. You and I have the same faith, the same gift that was given to Abraham, that was given to Daniel. That was given to David. The same faith that moved simple, unschooled, ordinary men to perform miracles, signs, wonders, and impact the world because they had been with Jesus. You have the same gift that they do. They took their portion and produced, and produced, and produced, and produced because they walked by faith. Is your faith producing today? Because it must. See, Isaiah 55 tells us that his word won't return void. But will you return void? (laughs) The Lord is working on us as a church. Stop having excuses that you don't have what you need. You have been given exactly what everyone else has been given. 
What are you going to do with what God has given? Let's be so desperate for God's presence. Let's be so desperate to produce fruit for His kingdom that our lives change today. How long are you going to wait? I will wait no longer. I'm going to invite Justin to come forward and close. But I want you to stand to your feet with me as we do this. Justin's going to close us. And we're going to worship. How long are you going to wait? Pastor, I haven't really been waiting. Okay. Then take full possession of what he's given to you. This is supposed to be a special kind of day in the kingdom. This is supposed to be a special day for you, not because it matters on a calendar, but because the God of all creation has determined it to be so. We want to stand before him confident and unashamed. And you can have that today. Anybody desperate this morning? You're about to get a little bit more desperate. I think it's safe to say that there are men and women in this room that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to say, you wicked and lazy servant. I know that's true. I know that there are people amening to the sermon. I know that there are people who are writing notes. I know that there are people who are nodding their heads that Jesus Christ will say to you, you wicked and lazy servant. I believe that's true. Because the word says it. Very easy to get see Pastor Wade full of need for the Lord and be emotionally moved. It's very easy to be a part of a service like this where men are desperate for God and be moved. But unless the track record changes in your life, Jesus Christ will say to you, you wicked and lazy servant, the question is, have you taken what God has given you and have you done anything with it? Have you? Do you have fruit right now in your life? Out of all of the years collected in this room right now, does the fruit really match that? Think about it. Do you really have fruit? Do you really, can you really point to anything and say, this is a result of my faith? Are things growing around you in the kingdom? Or have things been stagnant? Things been sitting and still? You know that there were children who professed the name of Jesus, who got the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, and they were killed for their faith. 
they went to the stakes to be burned, singing with joy. They went to the guillotine to have their heads cut off, singing with joy. They went before the firing squads, singing with joy, because they had gotten that revelation of who Jesus is. Do you really have anything different? Do you really have something that's different? Did they have something that's different than what you have? Not at all. How could it be that children joyfully accept the giving over of their lives? Women, men, not born again in the faith for more than a week. How could they have that? And yet we are so lacking. I this morning feel so lacking after a sermon like that. Do you? I feel very lacking. I'm looking around in my life and I'm saying I see so little fruit. I want to produce fruit for the king. I want to produce. In Matthew 25, similar passage that Pastor Wade just shared. This is the parable about the talents. Verse 24 says, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Man, what a disgrace. What a disgrace to take the treasure that God has given and to stick it in the dirt. To say, I'm too afraid to mess up with this treasure, so I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to sit on it until he comes back. Your faith has to stretch out. Your faith has to be multiplying. Your faith has to be growing. You have to be growing. You can't just take a promise that God has given you and sit and wait on it. We, we would do better to think of the promises that God has given to us more like rewards for us going after it. That's really what it is, isn't it, Pastor? When God gives a promise, it's not Him saying, I'm going to make it happen no matter what. Tell you what, God promised the Israelites that they would be kings in the earth, and they didn't. there were generations that didn't receive that. There were generations that died in exile because they were unfaithful. God's promise to you, God's promise to you depends on you going after it. You can't just sit by. You have to go after it. This man hid that talent in the ground. Can you put Matthew 13, 44 on the screen? You see, this man considered that one talent so small, he did nothing with it. He hid it in the ground. Jesus tells another parable in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Think about that, church. This man got treasure from God and he hid it in a field because it wasn't worth anything to him. It was so small in his eyes, he didn't think it was worth producing more of it. But this man found treasure hidden in a field. And when that man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. One man gets the one little talent he gets and he goes, man, this is not worth much and he hides it. Another man sees the same thing hidden in the ground. 
And he goes and sells everything he has to go and get it. Man, it is the same way with the kingdom. I'm telling you, there are some who see the treasure that God is trying to give you. And you go, oh, it's not worth that much. I'm not going to really work that hard for it. I'm not really going to do this on a Monday and a Tuesday when I'm tired. I'm really not going to sacrifice. It's not. It's just a small thing, Lord. And then there are others who see that same talent and go, man, this is everything. I want to produce more for the king. Which one are you this morning? Are you the person that views the talent as small and you're hiding it? Oh, God really is not concerned with that talent. He didn't really want a return on that investment. I mean, come on, God. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm lacking in these areas? Or are you the person that sees that treasure God is trying to give, and you go, man, it is worth me giving up everything for it. I want us to take sober judgment as we begin to worship. I believe that, that this is a challenging word for this body. I believe there are people in this church whom Jesus Christ would say, you wicked and lazy servant. I believe that. I urge you to, I urge you to search your hearts. What is going to change between today and tomorrow in your life? What is going to change? What is going to be uprooted out of you so that God can plant treasure into your heart? What is going to change, church? So, Father, we come before you, and we ask you to change us. Lord, we ask you to change our ways. We ask you to change our actions, mighty God. We ask you to change us from having stony hearts to hearts of flesh, hearts that respond, hearts that move in you, hearts that go after your promises, hearts that produce things for your kingdom, mighty God. Lord, we want to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. We want to be faithful with what you have already given us. Lord, we don't look for anything new. We don't look for anything different. We don't look for anything except for what you're already speaking. Lord, bring us to the kind of faith that will be obedient to your word, even when it is difficult, mighty God. Even when it is difficult. Lord, even now we pray, let the trials come upon us, Lord, because those trials refine us in You. Let the trials come upon us, Lord, so that we would be refined. Let the fire come, God. Let the fire come now so that we we would be refined in Your presence, that we would be precious in Your sight. Lord, we want to produce. We do not want to be wicked and lazy servants. We cry out, Father, for your presence to fill this place and change us.